audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Daddy said. You ever use that before, Daddy said? Um, Daddy said a lot of things. Daddy said a lot of things. Now, I'm not going to say that my daddy specifically said this one specifically, but I bet there's been some daddies out there who said something along these lines. Daddy said, don't get drunk, son, because stupidity follows every time. Stupidity. What are the consequences of not believing someone who gives you good advice? What can be those consequences? Let me tell you one consequence. Uh, (laughs) I tried to say this name in the service. I said it twice and I pronounced it differently both times. I'll probably do the same thing today and I apologize for that. If anybody in this room is from Turkey, you have every right to correct me in my pronunciation because this particular gentleman is from Turkey. And he's 50 years old, and his name is Baihan Mutlu. Okay? We're going to go with that for now. When I say it again, it'll probably be different. All right? Baihan. Maybe if I say it three different ways, I'll get it right one of those times. He's a resident of Turkey. He's 50 years old. And what happened to him happened this past week. Maybe you read about this. Um, He joined a search team. Joined a search team that was looking for a lost man. And he searched with this search team for hours. And while he was searching with this search team for a lost man, he was majorly inebriated, okay? And by the end of the search that lasted for hours, they realized he was the one they were searching for. Yeah, that, that happened this week in Turkey, to, to Bayhan Mutlu. I'm sure that he's going to have a little bit of a time living that one down. You know, sometimes there are consequences for a lack of trust, consequences for disbelief. Some of those consequences are merely hard lessons that can be learned from. And when we learn from those lessons, we can call that a success. Now, it's not fun, but we can call it a success. But some of the consequences of disbelief can be tragic. Absolutely, positively tragic. Turn to Genesis 15. We're going to read about some promises here. Promises from God to a man named Abram. We're going to read the first six verses. And we're going to dance all around chapter 15 today for a little while. After these things, we'll talk about those things in a moment. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying. Now, Abram, that might be a little confusing to you. His name would later be changed to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. That has a little bit to do with this account. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying... Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. 
And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And this Eliezer, just so that you understand what's taking place here, God says your reward will be great. In the mind of Abraham, that was tied very, very closely to the fact he didn't have a child. He had never been a father. And for him, that, there was no reward greater than that. And, and Abram says, well, maybe, maybe you're talking about this nephew or this cousin, distant cousin of mine, Eliezer. And this is the Lord's answer to him. Verse 4, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now the reason Abram at this point did not have a child, because his wife could not have children. That was a tough place, tough situation to be in. But the Lord gave his promise. Now verse 6 if you, if you treat your Bible, which I hope you do, and you have a hard copy version, if you treat it like it is living and active, and, but if you treat it like a living textbook, something that can continue to, to help you through life, and, and you write in it or you highlight in it, I, I encourage you to do that. If you do that, this is one to underline, right? This will be, this makes a big, this is a big deal. We'll see this referenced even in the New Testament later on. This is what it says. Verse 6, then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Understand something, guys, we talk about this a lot. Many, many times when you read the word belief, or you read the word faith in your Bible. Now, not always, but many, many times... Now, I'm not telling you, faith and belief, those are great words, good words, but you could mark those out and put another word that stand in its place if you wanted to, and that word is trust. It's trust. Abraham believed in the word of the Lord. Abraham trusted the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is not the first time, by the way, that God has showed up and given instructions and promises to Abram. And it's not the last time either. We'll get more details because the rest of chapter 15 starts getting a little squirrely. And I'm not saying it's hard to believe. I'm just saying it's, it's hard to understand. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that here in just a little bit. And when we do that, we need to pull some of chapter 17 into it to have a better understanding. Okay? The result of this promise of God to Abraham, though, was the birth of Isaac. The day would come when his wife, Sarah, her name would be changed to Sarah, would give birth to a son against all odds, and the name of that son would be Isaac, which means laughter, the joy that he would bring to them. But quite a bit of life happened between Isaac's arrival and this promise of God. And we need to dig into that a little bit. And the first thing we're going to see from Abraham is not his trust, we're going to see his lack of trust. And from that, we will see the consequences of disbelief. The consequences of disbelief. Now, the first time God showed up and spoke with Abraham and gave him a promise, it wasn't about a son. It was about this. He said this. He said, 
go and I will bless you. Abram, he was kind, he lived in tents. He was a nomad of some types, a sojourner. But he did have a home, and the home that his father had had before him, even though his father kind of moved around some as well. Now, he had a place where he was sinking some roots, and God said, you pick up those roots, you take your tents, you take your servants, you take your flocks, and you go. You go, and get this, he didn't tell him where. He said, go to the place that I tell you. Right? And he says, I will bless you if you do this. And guess what? Abram, he follows through. Abram goes. God shows up again in the midst of this moving from this place to place. And they are actually in what would, what would become known as, it was kind of known this way, but it would become more known as the land of Canaan, the Canaanites. It's kind of a big deal through the first part of our Old Testament. And what you will see here is God shows up again and he says to Abram, he says, this land that you see around you to your descendants, I will give this land. So everything's good, everything's going great. And then there's a famine that comes in the land. So, so Abram takes his, his, his servants, his possessions, his wife, his stuff, and they go to Egypt. They go to Egypt, and it starts to kind of go off the tracks just a little bit in Egypt. He goes to Egypt, and he tells his wife to do something. His wife, Sarai. Now, you got to understand something about Sarai, okay? In biblical terms, it says she's a beautiful woman. I'm just going to tell you, she was hot, all right? She was a 10. She wasn't a hot mama yet because she had not had a child yet, but she was a good-looking woman. And, and this is what Abram says to his wife, Sarai. Ask, tell me, ladies, have you ever seen this in an anniversary card or a Valentine's Day card from your beloved? You're like a sister to me. You ever gotten a card like that from your husband? If you do, a little weird, okay? I'm guessing there aren't too many out there. I mean, they show up in Egypt. Abram, he's like, okay, she, she is a looker. We've got a problem here. Um, they're going to get rid of me, and they're going to take her. That's what's going to happen. I've heard about these Egyptians before. So they go to Egypt. When they get there, he asks Sarai. He literally asks her, okay, can you say you're my sister? I mean, ladies, is that about as romantic as it gets? I mean, what do you think about your husband? If he says, I don't want them to hurt me, so pretend you're not my wife. You know what happens? They get there. Pharaoh, yes, she's, she's a 10. He sees her and he says, I want her in my home. Okay? Not only does Abram let this take place, he then accepts gifts from Pharaoh because he's the brother. So Pharaoh's going to treat him good to get in good, good place with Sarai. Okay, here's the consequences of this refusal to trust God. What did, what, what did God say? Go to where I tell you, Abram, and I will bless you. That doesn't look like letting a king kill you so he can take your wife. The results of this lack of trust, the consequences, is Pharaoh and his family suffered. Okay? But ladies, is that the only consequence to this? Are you going to forget this, ladies? Are you going to think, my 
my knight in shining armor, who's my brother, because he's not brave enough to say he's my husband. Consequences, folks, for a lack of trust. I know what you're thinking. Surely Abram learned from this. Surely he did. He did not. Guess what? A few years later, actually quite a few years later, he's no longer Abram. He's now Abraham. So other promises from God have arrived. And he goes to the land of Gerar, traveling, like I said, kind of a sojourner, with his wife, does the same thing all over again to Abimelech, the king of Gerar. This time is after Genesis 15. God has told him specifically, I will not only bless you, I will be your shield. Okay, if God, the creator and sustainer of the universe and the universes beyond, right, tells you he will be your shield, what do you have to fear? And yet again, they come to Gerar. Isaac, Isaac, oh my goodness. Abraham says, this is before Isaac's even around. Abraham says once again to his wife, hey, you remember what we did a few years ago back in Egypt? Well, let's try that again. That was so much fun. Say, you're my sister. Abimelech takes him into his home. And once again, where, where's the trust here? Where's the trust in God? And, and, and the consequences, what are the consequences of this? Abimelech and his family suffered. Lady, once again, any other consequences to this? One more thing. Just to kind of highlight all of this, what happens when we don't trust God. You know what happened in Gerar many years later? Same place, the same thing happened, and the next time it wasn't Abraham, it was his son Isaac who did the same thing to his wife, Rebecca. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, if there was a support group back then, wives of pansies, <laughs> Rebecca and Sarah would have been charter members, all right? Consequences. Relatively, I mean, speaking, speaking historically, the consequences of those two decisions were, were historically speaking relatively minor. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing between the, those two husbands and their wife, and it probably wasn't a great thing for Abimelech and for Pharaoh there for a while, but God took away those consequences because they were really innocent in this matter. But Something else, though, took place between the promise of Isaac's arrival, okay, and his actual arrival. And as we jump into this consequence of disbelief or a lack of trust, husbands, I want you to listen up just for a moment, okay? Listen up, because you, you could learn something from this. Well, we could all learn something from this, husbands, all right? Now listen closely. Okay, if your beloved looks at you with, with a certain tone in her voice and a certain look on her face, and she says these words, all right, go ahead, buy the truck. Don't buy the truck. You understand what I'm saying here? Do not buy the truck. Don't do it. Go ahead and buy the truck doesn't always mean go ahead and buy the truck, all right? Sometimes we need to use this thing between our ears. 
and read a little between the lines. Okay. We're talking a little bit of distance here between the promise of God to Abram and his wife, Sarai. Sarah, I don't know if she was just having a rough day or what, but Sarai comes to Abram and says this, we, we're not having any children. I don't know if you've noticed this. We're trying, but there are no children coming. And you know what, bub, we're getting older, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to take my slave, my servant, her name's Hagar, make her your wife, all right? And and, and then, and then you will, you will get a, you'll get a son here, okay? Abram's stupid response to Sarai's suggestion shows more than the fact he was an idiot, okay? You know what his response was? Okay, sounds good to me. It shows more than he was just dumb. It showed a lack in his trust of the promise of God. You know what the result of Abram's lack of trust and patience in God's promise? The result of that was a son named Ishmael. Ishmael. Now, maybe you've heard that name. Maybe you have not. But there are some ramifications for Ishmael coming into the world. I want to read for you one chapter over. Genesis 16, verse 12. For me, it's just one page. This is God speaking to Hagar, the slave of Sarai. Things weren't well between her and Sarai. Imagine that. God speaking through an angel to her says this. He, meaning Ishmael, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of all his brothers. Now, the significance of this is not merely the geographical, geographical location of Ishmael. It's more specifically what would happen. He would be a wild donkey of a man. He would be against everyone, and everyone would be against him. And I'll, let me tell you something. Ishmael and his descendants lived up to the reputation that God designated for him and them. There's a guy that came along a, a while later in world history, and his name was Mohammed. The Muhammad, not Ali, all right? The Muhammad. And Muhammad claimed Ishmael as his forefather. Are you beginning to see the tragedy of Abram's lack of trust in the promise of God? If you're not beginning to see it, I got a challenge for you. Why don't you head over to Afghanistan this week and begin preaching Jesus on a street corner in Kabul and see what happens to you? You see, some tragic consequences of lacking trust in God and his promises last centuries, even millenniums. But Abram, Abraham is known as not the father of distrust. He's known as the father of, of our faith. Our f he was faithful. So there's got to be somewhere in this story that we see the benefits of belief. And yes, we do. Abram did not do it all wrong, okay? 
Why don't you go back to chapter 15 and verse 6 again. If you didn't underline it, do it this time, okay? Because it's worthy of being read again. And it is a great, great point about Abram's life, later Abraham's life. Read it again, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord. He trusted and God reckoned it. The Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. This becomes very clear to us in two specific instances. More specifically, two really rough nights for Abram and later Abraham. If you want to just kind of peruse through it, I'm not going to read any of it. But we've gone up through about verse 6, okay? There's a few more details of what God is going to do for Abram. And then it starts getting really confusing. There's talk of animals and, and fire and ovens and Abram having a rough night. There's, it looks a little confusing. So let's dig into it a little bit. After all, what we are talking about today and what J.B. will be talking about next week is covenant. Covenant. These promises from Abraham to God were a covenant. It was just not a promise from one to the other, the greater to the lesser. There was an agreement here. So let's define this. A covenant, very simply, is an agreement between two parties. We got that? An agreement between two parties. Now, what we see in Genesis 15 is not just a covenant. It's actually a blood covenant. Now, believe it or not, these actually take place in our world, some parts of our world, still today. And if you don't know anything about blood covenants, this looks really confusing. But understand, this, was, this Genesis here was written years later by Moses at the direction, at the dictation of God himself. That's pretty awesome, all right? So, so Moses, when he wrote this originally, was writing to a people who would know absolutely what a blood covenant is. But we've got to play a little bit of catch up here. A blood covenant is something like this. Because when I read this, I see, I see, the rest, this is a chapter, I see blood, I see a heifer involved, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. Uh, what is this getting at? Like God gives these promises to Abraham, and the, or Abram at this time, and he says, I want you to go get a heifer. I want you to go get a ram. I want you to go get a goat. I want you to go get a pigeon, and I want you to get a dove. You get these things, you put them on the ground, put them right there before us, and then I want you to cut them in half and spread them out, left to the right. This, this, is, this, is, this is what you're going to do. And, 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 and what happens next is, is Abram has a horrible night of nightmares, Horrible night of nightmares. And then this oven thing shows up and this, this fire thing shows up. And, and what I'm left thinking about, if I don't know the background of this, is, huh? This is just confusing. It doesn't make any sense. This is where we've got to pull chapter 17 into this just a little bit. And you don't have to turn there. But in chapter 17, we see kind of the more elaborate version of this agreement between God and Abraham. It isn't just that God, and his name's Abraham by then, it isn't just that God's going to bless him and give him a son and do these things. And through this son, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's not just these things. In chapter 17, we get what Abram is supposed to do. 
his end of the bargain, if you will. Remember, a covenant between two parties. And his end of the bargain is for him and his descendants to live blameless before God. How do you like that end of the arrangement, folks? With God, live perfectly righteous life. Back to the blood covenant. You got these animals, you got them divided down the middle, you got half of them going to the right, half of them going to the left. Then the two parties walk through the blood. They don't do this just because they're barbaric or something. there's, There's a purpose to this. And what the purpose is is this. We made an agreement. If you don't live up to your end of the bargain, see this blood, see these animals, it's what I have the right to do to you. So God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want back from you, Abram. Get these animals, get them laid out. Now, here's the thing. The, script, the, 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 the account in Genesis 15 doesn't say anything about Abram walking through it. Abram fell asleep. Has night terrors. I mean, it says a darkness came over him, and he was in great terror, this deep sleep. He, like, imagine the worst nightmare you ever had, and this is what we're talking about. It was awful. He's trying to keep animals from coming in and eating these sacks. I mean, in the dream, he just, he's, the issue is Abram knows what's expected of him. He's supposed to walk between those animals with God, but look what happens next. God awakens Abram with a vision, and in this vision, a smoking oven and a flaming torch show up. Now, smoking oven, your mind might go to burnt the pot roast again, all right? I mean, that's a smoking oven. That's what I think of. No, this, this is more like an incense type of thing that would later be used in the tabernacle and in the temple and the worship of the Lord. So it's, it's something you would kind of hold, that type of thing. So you've got that showing up in this vision, and right beside it, you have a flaming torch. You know what these represented? God and God. Now let me ask you, who are two ends of this bargain, this arrangement? God and who? Abram. Abram is terrified because it's his responsibility to walk with God through that blood knowing that he nor his descendants will live up to their end of the bargain. And God shows up in a vision and takes Abram's place. So the rough night was resolved. But it's not the only rough night that Abram would have. The next one, as I told you, his name would be Abraham. And by this time, Isaac's arrived. Remember that that happy little baby boy? His name means laughter. Brings joy to mom. I mean... Ladies, those of you who've had the privilege of being moms, imagine waiting until you were almost 100 years old to have that child. And that's kind of tough to imagine. (laughs) And that little baby boy bouncing on your knee finally arrives. And just imagine that the joy that that young boy brought to Abraham. Another rough night, rough night, very rough night for Abraham because God showed up and said, you take your son and you sacrifice him to me. Let me tell you something. Two things 
that Abram, Abraham, knew about God. First one is this. God did not accept human sacrifice. It was an abomination before him. That's not how you worship him. Now, there would be nations later on who would worship a demon by the name of Moloch in those ways, making their children pass through fire. And God told the people of Israel, if you do that, I'll wipe you out. This is not what you do. It's an abomination. Now, Abram, Abraham knew that, and there's something else that he knew. He knew that the God of everything can raise the dead. If you look to what happens a few chapters later, it says that God tells Abraham what he wants from him. And then the very first thing it says is early the next morning. Abraham got his son Isaac, a few servants, and they left. Left to go offer sacrifice to God. Can you imagine what that night was like for Abraham? Dads. But we see the story from the other side. We see the account of the other side. Abraham trusted God's promise. And he knew that the promises that God had given him would come directly through Isaac. And God had promised the birth of Isaac. He promised that through Isaac, all in his lineage and the people that would come after him. He said, like the sands on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. And he knew this can't happen without Isaac. He trusted in the promises of God. And guess what God did? You know what God did. He saw the faithfulness of Abraham. He saw that Abraham trusted him and he provided a substitution sacrifice. Every promise to Abraham, every single one was tied not only to Isaac, is tied to Jesus. Every one of them. Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of these promises to Abraham. He told, God told Abraham, through your descendant, people of all nations will be blessed. Next week, it's JB's job to talk about the new covenant. The new agreement between God and his people. And that that covenant, that agreement is only available to us because of Jesus Christ. God, his answer to our lack of trust. See, we we can look at Abraham, we can shake our finger at him, you know. But guys, man alive, we're pointing from the same side of the mirror. How often do we fail to trust in the promises of God? How often do we disbelieve that God is a keeper of his promises? God's answer to our lack of trust is the substitute sacrifice of his own son. 
You see, there was nobody to stop the crucifixion. Abraham trusted in the promises of God and the fruit of trusting in those promises is the hand that held the knife was stopped in midair by God. But nobody was there to stop the death of Jesus Christ because he is the answer. Guys, do you understand how significant that day was and is? What did I tell you about God? He does not accept what? Human sacrifice. Human blood sacrifice. He does not accept it except for once. When he accepted the sacrificial, atoning redemptive blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Nobody in this world who has ever lost a child can say to God, you don't know what this feels like. Because he knows. And the loss of his son is our hope. You know why? Because the grave couldn't hold the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.